Wilson. Hi, ho, neighbor. Hey, Wilson, do you have any of those humane traps for mice? Since when did you become a trapper, Tim? Well, Wilson, I think I heard a mouse in my basement, <laughs> and Jill got real freaked out over that itty-bitty thing. Can you believe that? Well, fear is perfectly natural. Everybody's afraid of something. What about you, Wilson? What are you afraid of? I do have one underlying fear, Tim. I'm afraid that reality as we know it is someone else's dream. <laughs> when the dreamer wakes, I'll no longer exist. Wilson, I wouldn't share that with too many people. <laughs> well, hidey ho there, neighbor. Any uh, home improvement fans, right, back from the 90s, early 2000s, I don't even know when that show was on, but Tim, the tool man Taylor, you might remember, had a wise neighbor named Mr. Wilson, and they would have deep philosophical conversations over the fence, because Mr. Wilson had all kinds of sound counsel and life advice. I wonder if you've ever had a neighbor like that, someone wiser than you that you sought out for advice, maybe somebody who were next door when you were newlyweds and you found yourself asking them lots of questions, or maybe as a new parent when you talked to your neighbors who had kids who were a little bit older than yours. Or how about this, have you ever had a conversation, a meaningful one, over the fence? Even do we know our neighbors? Do you speak to them often, let alone often enough to ask any kind of significant life question? Well, the idea of Mr. Wilson is appealing. It's, in practice, it seems foreign, like a lost art form. Well, we're in week two of our series, The Art of Neighboring, and we're talking about the second greatest commandment, right? The first is the one that you memorized in Sunday school, let me hear you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says that there's a second commandment that's just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, last week we talked about what it means to be the church when the church has left the building, right? If the church is more than our services, that's fine, but we have to be living that out in our actions and how we love people, especially and including our neighbors. We can't let our faith, our actions, be on pause just because the world has changed. In fact, it needs us now to be the church more than ever. But today I want to dive a little bit deeper into the idea of our neighbors specifically. We're going to ask the same questions that Jesus' first hearers asked when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, and who exactly is my neighbor? Now, if you recognize that question, you get a gold star, Bible scholar, good job. You may recognize it from the prompt of the question in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. We're going to get there in a minute, but it's the story of the Good Samaritan. But before we get to that, some background on this series. As I mentioned, the content for this series is adapted from a book by the same name, and it's a neighboring movement that started right in our backyards in Arvada, and Dave Runyon is one of the authors, and he was meeting with a local group of about 25 pastors, and they were spending time getting to know and speak into community leaders. They were asking the question, so what can our churches do to bless and make an impact in the city? 
the great questions, the same question that we're trying to answer here at the porch about loving our local community. And as they met with city officials, the feedback that they were receiving was that so much of the city was dependent on the government for community development, from reading programs at schools to food programs for food insecure families to checking in on shut-ins that the mayor at the time made an off-handed statement that caught them all off guard. He said, if you could create a neighboring movement, well, that could change our city. If you could create a way to encourage people to actually care for their neighbors, to care about the person next door or across the street, to help elderly people shovel driveways, rake leaves, mow lawns, provide meals and resources for families in need or crisis. If you could find some way to inspire people to care for their neighbors and neighborhoods, man, that would really be something. And this room full of pastors was taken aback again because being a good neighbor is the second greatest commandment. Jesus says the whole Old Testament hinges on it. And yet here was a need in their community. And spoiler alert, it's a need in ours as well. But they were just immune to it. They couldn't see it, nor could they see a way to answer it. So they set out to learn more, more about their community, their neighbors, their needs, and, and they discovered two things along the process. The first, they discovered that they didn't know the needs or the people in their community. They actually didn't know the needs of the person across the street because they didn't even know the people across the street, right? That pastors, church, and community leaders were not aware of the people that lived closest to them, that what they thought their community needed wasn't actually it at all. And even worse, that the needs of the community didn't match the activities that they wanted. See, as well-meaning as we church people are, we also have an agenda sometimes. We want to do the things that we want to do, and we don't want to do the things that we don't want to do, right? For instance, local outreach that gets attention and traction for an event or a project is a win, right? Everybody wants a little bit of attention. Look how cool my church is. Shoveling your neighbor's driveway when it snows? Not that sexy, right? It's not exciting. It's just kind of normal. A mission trip to serve with a local ministry will garner more attention and signups than a challenge to talk to your neighbor and to find some practical need in their life to meet. And while caring for a neighbor seems easier, it seems more palatable, more relatable, it isn't as fun or exciting or even apparently as spiritually challenging as the other actions that we devote ourselves to. What's worse, though, is that it's actually much harder to reach out and care for and serve our neighbors. Because when we go out for an event, when we go on a trip somewhere to serve someone, we can come home and then we can let our hair down, right? There's a barrier that we can kind of relax and go back to our normal life. When your home becomes the center of your faith and ministry, then things can begin to change means after a hard week and a difficult day and you want to come home to relax and unwind, but your neighbor needs someone to talk to, and guess what? You're the one who's there for them. When you're ready to let your guard down, the proximity of relationships means that you might still be on the clock. And quite frankly, we value our privacy. We like being able to turn off the person that we're supposed to be and instead just be who we want to be, who we are. 
which is the second thing that this group of pastors from Arvada learned in these conversations that they were having. One of the city managers dropped this truth bomb on them. She said, there's no difference between Christian and non-Christian neighbors. Again, this was a city manager. The city knew where the pockets of religious people lived. And they knew democratic demographic information. The city manager was able to hold up a mirror to the church and to say, look, from an evidence perspective, there's no difference of neighborhoods where people of faith tend to congregate and where regular people live in their neighborhoods. There's no visible impact that church people, that people of faith have in their specific neighborhood. So with that story and those two lessons in mind, let's jump into our scripture, right? Last week, we're in Luke 10. We're going to pick up right where we left off. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is a fascinating story, right? There's rich cultural nuances about the Levites and the priests and the Samaritans, and these would have had real specific meanings to Jesus' first hearers of this story, right? It's actually an attack on the religious elite who are probably the ones gathered around him, and he makes them the villain in the story, the ones who walk by not aiding to protect their purity. And then he uses this Samaritan as an enemy who is a mixed-race people group. They were called dogs by the Jewish people. And he uses them as the example of what it means to be a good neighbor. Now, I hope this isn't a new story for you. If it is, then read it again and let's have coffee this week because it's such a profound story. It's woven its way into our culture as Americans. But really where I want to go with this is to say that for a long time, I, maybe we, have read this parable and and the takeaway, the, the answer to the question that this person asks and that we ask of who is my neighbor, the answer based on this story is anyone, everyone. Whoever is in need, they're my neighbor. 
Whenever I can stop by and help someone on the side of the road, whenever I do something kind, then this person is my neighbor. We should always be a good neighbor to anyone and everyone at all times, and I need to love my neighbor because that's what God calls us to do. 100% true, 100% right, and absolutely the point of Jesus' parable. But Jesus' story here was told to a certain group of people at a certain time who were dealing with a social reality and structure that is not what we're dealing with today. And the result is that unfortunately we've traded one of the lessons of this story. We've learned that we are always neighboring, which has led us to neglect our actual neighbors. We've put them into a category because we put this teaching into practice where we love everyone always and to help people who have need and not just friends, but people begging on the streets and giving to a charitable cause. We've correctly understood and applied the parable, but we've missed the most basic application of the second greatest commandment to love our actual neighbors as ourselves. So we're going to do a little, a little class project today. I need you to find a piece of paper, preferably blank, and a pen. It'd be perfect if you have a printer in the other room. Dad, uh, kids, go and steal a couple pieces of paper. Ask your dad first. For some reason, dads are really uptight about copy paper in the printer. I don't know what that's about. I'm the same way. But a piece of paper and a pen. You can all do this or you can do it together as a family. But pause the video if you need to. If you don't have a piece of paper and pen handy because we're going to do a little project here together. I'll wait. Jeopardy music in the background? No? Okay. Do you have a piece of paper? Great. I want you to draw on it a giant tic-tac-board. Okay, so two vertical lines and two horizontal lines. It might look something like this much more polished image, but you can get the idea. Tic-tac-toe board, nine squares, and I want you to put an X in the middle square. Now, case you've never seen a treasure map before, right? X marks the spot. You, in this case, happen to be X. Now, I want you to think about this as a neighborhood map, that you're looking down from the Google satellite view of your neighborhood, and that X in the middle is actually your house. Maybe it's where you're sitting right now as you watch this, but you're in the middle of that, and the other boxes represent your neighbors. Here's the house directly behind yours, the house directly in front of yours. Perhaps that's across the street. You've got your two neighbors on either side and then the diagonal corners from there, right? Now, if you're with me, we're going to play kind of a tic-tac-toe game. And your neighborhood might not line up like this, and that's okay. I want you to think about the eight neighbors who are closest to you. So if you back up to a green space, you don't get a free row, right? You've got to come up with neighbors on either side. You might have to be a little bit creative. But in each of these eight houses that's around your house as the central location, I want you to go around and on the top of each box, write the names of the people who live in those houses, right? 
Okay, now no cheating, right? You can't go out to look at your neighbor's front house because you know they have a sign with their last name on it, right? I want you to think about and remember the names of your neighbors, right? You can work together as a family, right? Think about kids' names. Is there anyone else who lives there? Maybe they live with grandma or grandpa or they've got a roommate, something like that. But you want to go around to these eight houses and you want to put names down at the top of the box for as many of them as you know. How you doing? If I'm honest, I'm not doing so hot, right? I've got two houses that I definitely know names of everyone there. I know ages of their kids because our kids play together, but I'm kind of downhill from there. I've met a couple of them before, but if I'm honest, I think I've forgotten their names. There's two neighbors who just moved in, so I get a break there, right? Because it's COVID and I can't just show up with a plate of cookies in the middle of COVID to introduce myself, but there's definitely at least one neighbor who I've never seen, never met, never made an effort to get to know in my block of eight. So here's the point of this first exercise. It's really hard to love your neighbor when you don't even know their name. And I get it, life is different, right? Neighbors are different, right? It'd be weird if you showed up and asked for a cup of sugar, right? You probably wouldn't answer if your neighbors did that, or you at least check them out on the ring before you answered the door. But if the reality of the 21st century of being a neighbor means being isolated, but we're called by Jesus to love our neighbors, then we have some serious ground to cover. And the truth is, we'll get to this later, that by doing these exercises, the things that we're going to talk about in this series, you'll actually begin to create the type of neighborhood and relationships and God moments that you are seeking in your life. And the solution to that is found in this ancient wisdom from Jesus some 2,000 years ago. And it's not just an antidote for your life and for my life. It's an antidote to some of the things that plague our society right now and we've just missed it and again i'm with you right i neighbor everywhere i neighbor at work i neighbor at church i neighbor at the supermarket i'm not trying to call anyone out and say that you're a bad person i'm saying that collectively perhaps in misapplying this parable that we haven't quite followed the second greatest command as well as we should so what are we to do well a good first step might be to learn someone's name. Maybe go from waving and just saying hello to saying, hey, how are you, right? Maybe as you do that, you can introduce the gradual conversation of, hey, I think I know your name. I know I've met you before, but I'm terrible with names and I just forgot. Hey, I know you just moved in. We haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet. Because hey then transforms to, hey, Mike, and hey, Mike transforms into, hey, Mike, how are you doing? And that turns into conversations and thousands of possibilities of connecting with them and perhaps even engaging them in the gospel. Right? But, but don't miss this. This is not some agenda that we have. This isn't maybe evangelism as you're familiar with it. Right? We don't love people so they will believe what we believe. We love people because of what we believe. 
This isn't an agenda for us to figure out how to talk to our neighbors about Jesus, but the hope is that as we get to know our neighbors, that they see our life by living in proximity to us, that they may ask a question of you and your life, the answer to which is Jesus. But the point and outcome is love. It's not advancing our agenda that's manipulative and quite frankly wrong. And that's how people get turned away from God and the gospel and the church. What we're attempting to do is to foster loving our neighbor as ourself and starting with that in our backyard. That love comes from Jesus. The capacity that we have to love people who are not like like us comes from Jesus' example of love poured out. And so while it starts with names, we can agree that loving our neighbors must go much deeper than that. So if that simple realization about knowing the names of your neighbor was painful, brace yourselves because it might get a little worse here, right? Let's go back to your tic-tac-toe board. You've got your names on the top of each square, or at least some of the squares, hopefully. Now, in the middle of the square, right, you can put a letter B or a number two if you want to. There's going to be three lines, but this middle space is for facts about their family, something that you know about their household. And again, this is something that you wouldn't get from just standing in the driveway, right? Not red car, two kids, etc. It could be where they work, maybe where they're from. What hobby or sport do they enjoy? Some information that you've learned about them in the course of your conversations with them. Now, again, that might be difficult if you haven't had any conversations, and that's okay. I'm just giving you a roadmap for how we fill out this tic-tac-toe board. Number C or three, whatever the bottom line of your box in each of the eight squares is reserved for really in-depth information. Things that we might classify as hopes and dreams, career plans, fears, ambitions, right? Things that keep them up at night. Why? Well, because Christians are nosy, right? Everyone knows that, right? No, no, that's not. Because we want to love our neighbors. And if all you know is a first name, you won't be able to grow in your love for them. And these talking points give us a script, a trajectory for how to follow the commandment that Jesus gave us, which is something that collectively we may have kind of been forgetting. Right, which the point is to love our neighbor because in doing so, we're living out a core tenant of our faith. So here's your challenge for this week, this series, this month, this year. Fill out your board, right? Eight neighbors, names, facts, hopes, and dreams, right? Your goal is to be a good neighbor. And to do so, you're going to fill out the spaces on the board. You're going to set aside some time to have intentional conversations that lead you to the answers on this page. And the first person to get a blackout tic-tac-toe wins a prize, okay? Right? No, that's not what we're doing because it's impossible to love people that you don't know. And neighboring is this lost idea, maybe back from the 1950s, but it's actually a lost idea from Jesus. And if you want to have an impact in your world, if you want your life to be full of rich relationships with people, to have a neighborhood that you would never consider leaving because you have such shared life with people, this is the path to achieving those objectives. And if you get this whole board filled out, you're not done, by the way, right? 
now you just know how to get started how to act, how to love, how to pray, how to be a good neighbor. This is just the introduction. This is just the background information that we've lost the ability or forgotten the ability to figure out and to fill in for ourselves. This doesn't happen naturally as much anymore, but as you discover these things about your neighbors, as you get to know them, the hope is that you'll begin to love them. And if you love your neighbors, then chances are that your life will garner a whole new meaning and some new work to do as well. Because while the point of this is to be the people of God and to love our neighbor, if we're doing that, it should lead people to ask questions about us and for us to share the hope that we have in God. And the reason, the motivation that we have for loving them isn't because we're such great people. It's because we're so filled with this love that we receive in Jesus that we can't help but invite them into that space. And this is so much deeper than a simple invite to church at Easter because it comes from a place of relationship and of love, which I think is kind of the genius of Jesus's point. Loving our neighbor is what Jesus commands us to do. We've got some growth to do in that department. You might be feeling a bit overwhelmed or convicted. Maybe you don't feel up to the task, but I want to remind you, don't forget that God placed you in your neighborhood on purpose. Because your neighborhood needed someone to be a good neighbor to the people who are far from him, who aren't even thinking about walking in the doors of a church. This is how it's recorded in Acts chapter 17. It says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Did you hear it? You don't live where you live by accident. You've been placed there for a specific reason. God said, hey, I need somebody to be close to these people who are far from me, someone to show them an example of my love. And so he asked you to live there. I know that you might have chosen your house for the location or the number of bathrooms or the size of the backyard and all of that's fine. But God chose you for a very specific reason to be a light in your neighborhood. So this week, Fill in one line in that box that you don't know now, right? Fill out one name. Ask one neighbor how they're doing, right? With COVID and school starting, there should be an easy opportunity for you to start a natural conversation. And when you do, I want you to celebrate. I want you to tell your family at dinner or go on a family walk to the neighbors on the block behind you just to see if you can meet them or catch them outside to interact with them, say a hello. As a matter of fact, your board could be a family project that you tape on your fridge and you fill out together in the coming weeks and months. You can celebrate that together. And as you do, prayerfully consider why God would put you there as their neighbor. Ask him about how you can love his people in such a way that they will know that it's from him, not just from you. Because look, we're called to be good neighbors. 
And as good neighbors, we need to know the names and the hopes and desires of the people that we live around. And as we grow in that knowledge, we'll grow in God's equipping for us to be the people of God right where he has us planted. You aren't where you are by accident. Your neighbors need you and God sent you to them so that you could love them in his name. So you've got some homework this week. Pretty appropriate with school starting. Good luck. I want you to fill out at least one blank, one letter line for one box that you don't have now. And then I want you to send me a picture, right? You can text it to me. You can email it to me. You can put it on your social media and tag the church in it, right? I want to see your board, especially the additions, because I want to celebrate with you as we get better at being a church who does good at neighboring. Before we close today, I want to remind you that we have our annual meeting coming up right after service. You'll want to stick around for that. But for now, be blessed this week. But your blessing is to be a blessing to those around you. So be blessed, but also be a good neighbor.